0: It's important that we are aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing and that we track what He's doing. If we will let Him, we will look back on this moment and say, that is when. It began. Because he's intending to do something. And we need to catch up with that. And I, I think it's important that the way he said that is if we let him. Because it, it's so easy to file something away or to think, well, I've seen that before. What you sensed in the middle of that is the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's a point where he takes over the song, he takes over the worship. And so we, we sensitize ourselves to the manifest presence. And it's, it's really interesting because. You know, I came back off holiday earlier in the week and Dee contacted me and she she said, I want to change a few things. Is that okay? And she said, What are you talking about? I said, Well, I've really felt that right over the summer, the Holy Spirit wants to talk about the Holy Spirit. And she said, well, that's really interesting because I'm getting all these songs about the Holy Spirit and I wanted to check that was okay with you if I weren't with those songs. And so it's a moment like that when you realize that God is moving and joining things up by the Holy Spirit. And so at those times in our lives, we do two things. We get out of his way and then we join in with what he's doing we, we participate and there is no rule book for that uh, there's no formula because it's a relationship not a religion and when i was on holiday one or two of you know this because I I was excited, so I told one or two people, but only one or two. And uh, what happened was that I was asleep. Somebody pinging. I was asleep, and I was having a really vivid dream. Now, you kind of need to understand these. I don't do really vivid dreams. About... 16, 17 years ago, Cheval and I went to a conference out in Spain, Christians in Business Conference. This guy got us out, prophesied over us, said I needed to have a little journal next to my bed because God's going to wake me up with visions and dreams and I need to be ready to write them down. And, and so I got my journal and I put it next to my bed and 16 years later, I've never had a vision or a dream that felt <laughs> like I needed to write it down. Until I was on holiday this time. And... I was having this dream and it was just a really simple dream, it was kind of very realistic and we were sat uh, I think at our kitchen table and we had guests at our kitchen table and we were sharing a meal with them and the conversation turned and, and we kind of got on to the gifts of the Spirit and the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit and, and, and there was a conversation ongoing about about that and I was... I was saying various things. I can't remember what those things were. And it got to the point, and I realized I'd woken up. And I thought, and, and I woke up with this question. Holy Spirit, are you telling me I need to talk about the Holy Spirit? And he said, yes. Okay, so that's a simple one. And I said, well, I've got this big question. Because you've been telling me that we have to make Jesus the center of attention. And he said, yeah, that's right. It really is all about Jesus. And and so I, I said, okay, if I'm gonna teach, and you, you're gonna have to give me this, if I'm gonna talk about the Holy Spirit, then you're gonna have to give me the things to say. And, this, this question is, how does talking about the Holy Spirit put Jesus at the centre of everything? That, that was my question. And by this time, I'm awake and thinking, it's four o'clock. I could do with, you know, a bit more sleep. Like, it's been hot today. I've only just got to sleep. I could do with a bit more. And um, and he said, no, I want you to write it down. So I, I got my uh, phone out, because that's the only thing I had there. And put it on and went to my um you know the notes thing that apple iphone has and i just wrote it down what he said and, and where he led me through the scriptures got my bible out thought, good you know have that ready and so this is what he showed me and what he showed me is so this is like a scene set for where he wants to take us and what, what he wants to talk to us about now i realize that's kind of awkward because it's summer, which means it's hard to get some consistency because we all go off on holiday at various points in time. But what I would ask is if you're on holiday to pick up the weeks you were here, because I think he's going to show us something that's hugely significant. And it's easy to say that lightly, isn't it? you know? It's easy to promote something and market something with, oh, God's going to move, going to be a night of miracles, all those sort of things. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if we let him, we'll look back on this point in time and say that's when it started. So what is, how does the Holy Spirit relate to Jesus and how does Jesus relate to the Holy Spirit? And how do they both relate to God the Father? Because we can emphasise one of the members of the Godhead at various points in our uh, Christian lifetime. And so we've been through, in my lifetime, we've been through a phase where it was all about the Holy Spirit, and the discovery of the gifts and moving in the gifts and, and all those sort of things. And, and then it was about the Father heart of God. And, and I, I believe, and I've explained this over the last year, is I believe that the season is to put Jesus back at the centre. Not us or our ministries or our churches or anything like that, but Jesus. Jesus. So how do they relate to each other? Well, they're, they're equal, but different. Equal but different. And I, I, how do you get your head around? that? Well, let's just imagine not not this year, but previous year's Wimbledon's, or previous year's US Opens or whatever. And you've got these three greatest of all times vying it out. You've got Federer, you've got Nadal, and you have got Djokovic. Now, I guess if I took a sample in this room, we all have our view on who is the greatest of all time. But the truth is, they're pretty equal, aren't they? If, if, there's that, if we, we're all that close on it, they're, they're, they're equal. But they are very, very different players. It's like, Federer just like, he floats, doesn't he? And, and the ball seems to curve when he hits it, and he just, it seems there's a grace with him, whereas, Nadal, it's power, isn't it? It's power and it, the the effort he puts into every shot. And yet, and and Djokovic, it's he's just so remarkably consistent and so remarkably accurate. So who's the greatest of all time? All of them, none of them, one of them. It doesn't really matter, does it? We have been privileged as a generation to have those three guys playing and to even have that conversation so equal but different the godhead is the same the father is the greatest of all time jesus is the greatest of all time the holy spirit is the greatest of all time so if we want to know how you can be equal, but different, we have to see how they relate to each other, because we can have views about how we want things to be, but we, we have to start and understand from their perspective, how they want it to be, because they've taken this decision amongst themselves, that this is how we want to relate to each other. And this is how we want to relate to our church, our people, our children, So, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit in your life is to join your spirit to Jesus. And he does that by joining himself to your spirit. Just a word of warning. I'm going to talk about John chapter 14, John chapter 15. So this is going to be deep, okay? And because we need to go deep to see what we haven't seen before and to live what we haven't lived before. And so the Holy Spirit's purpose, according to Jesus, is to make us one with Jesus and make us one with the Father. And, and the Bible calls this, and Jesus calls it, abiding in Jesus. Abiding in me, he says. Abiding me. And so that's, that's the principal thing the Holy Spirit has come to do. And everything else flows from there. So we aren't at liberty to leap to power before oneness. And we, we need to understand that. Because so much of our rhetoric has been about leaping to power without understanding the oneness. I kind of don't want to offend anybody, but if this is you, I'm sorry, but I'll also say it's been me at various points in time. What you often see is because we we haven't really understood how to abide in jesus by the holy spirit what you see is believers um, proclaiming truths but it making very little difference in practice and here's, here's the point so let me give you an example you don't need any more power than you already have because you always ha- already have the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Is that true or isn't it? Because that's what you often see repeated. That's pe- what people come out with. That's what I've heard a lot of my life. That's what you see on Facebook and everything else. Where You just get these little three-liners. and And they're true. You do have... The Holy Spirit, who is one with your spirit, and the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. It's true. But that doesn't make it that you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit displayed in your life, operating in your life, and working in your life. But we think, well, I just have to believe that sentence harder, that I've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And and people say, well, the reason we don't walk in power is we don't understand who we are in Christ. No, we understand who we are in Christ. We just don't live in Christ. James says that thinking things like this, in other words, knowing things are true, isn't the sort of faith that we're meant to have. Because what James says is that sort of faith, the devil believes. The devil believes that your spirit is one with the Holy Spirit. He knows who you are in Christ. He believes it, but he can't live it. And therefore he wants us to stop at thinking, if we just say that enough, repeat it enough, and, and, and basically criticise other people who he don't even know that enough by sticking it on Facebook in answer to every question that comes up, then somehow it'll work for us. And it doesn't. Because it's not enough to believe something is absolutely true. It's not enough to know it. We have to live it. This is relationship, not religion. I'm trying to go slow because this is how the Holy Spirit was showing me it. How do we know that what I am saying has the potential to be correct? Well, the result of just repeating these things and believing them and knowing them is that we haven't experienced the level of anointing and the, the, the level of power that even previous generations have walked in. And therefore, we, we, we kind of lionize and, and make amazing what would have been ordinary and routine for some of the great men and women of God that have gone before us. And so, we end up with, there's there's a transition to be made. Let me go to John chapter 14. And I'll go to verse 20. Well, I'll start at 19. This is Jesus talking. He's talking to the disciples. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. That's, I'm coming back to you, disciples, physically. Because I live, you will live also. The gift of eternal life. that's given to us because Jesus conquered death. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father. And you in me. And I in you. And it strikes me that when we say we've got the fullness of the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit's one with our spirit, assuming we do know that in the first place, we've got the you in me bit. But we've not really entered into the you in me, me in Jesus. We've not entered into that bit. And, and this is kind of a whole. The, the, the one, each bit doesn't work without the other bits. He said, I am in my Father. I'm, the Father and I are one. I've gone back to, to heaven. I'm, I am in my Father. And you are in me. And I'm in you. And so we can grasp one bit of it. But we need the whole for it to be the fullness of the Spirit and the fullness of the anointing working through the life of the believer. And, and we've got to start moving. I realized, and the Holy Spirit said this to me when he woke me up, We, this, some of this stuff means, needs to move from our subconscious information bank into... A consciousness that affects our life, so we live it. A consciousness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that requires the church and the individuals within the church to move from task consciousness, goal consciousness, vision consciousness, to spirit consciousness. Let's go on to verse 26. Because what I want to talk to you about is how the Holy Spirit relates to Jesus and what he does in in us in relation to Jesus. Verse 26. These things... I have spoken, sorry, verse 25, start away. these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So here's the first thing he's going to do. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. So the first job according to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has is to teach you what Jesus said and to show you what Jesus was like and to reveal to you how Jesus did what he did. So the Holy Spirit comes not to teach us about himself. He comes to teach us about Jesus. And he comes to show us the things that Jesus said in a way that we get them in our lives so that they create that oneness and that joining to Jesus himself. Do, do you understand that? So the Holy Spirit, the first thing Jesus says, the Holy Spirit's purpose is to talk about Jesus and to get us to remember the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus has done and show us the significance of them. So that's his first purpose. The Holy Spirit is not speaking to us ever, get this, ever, the Holy Spirit never speaks on his own account. The Holy Spirit always speaks on Jesus' account. And that's really significant because some sometimes we can just think it's, It's the Holy Spirit in isolation, but it's never the Holy Spirit in isolation. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us and relating to us on Jesus' account. And Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? When, When he was a man on earth walking full of the Holy Spirit, he said, I'm not doing these things of myself on my account. I'm only doing the things the Father showed me to do. And I'm not speaking anything on my own account. I'm only speaking the words the Father gave me. And so the Holy Spirit's purpose is that we assume that position that Jesus had, which is that he takes of what he's Jesus is and shows us it and teaches us it and brings it to remembrance on account so that we know Jesus and we become more of one with him and that he can inhabit more of us. That's why Paul often calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. And at that point, you get back onto my equal but different greatest of all times thing. That's why it's too deep. But we are trying to describe God. What's the next thing the Holy Spirit does? Well, in relation to us, the Holy Spirit is not primarily about affecting you with the things of the spirit because sometimes we can go just wanting that but that was never the goal of the holy spirit when the holy spirit comes when he pours out the goal is that the attention should be given to jesus and so paul tells us in romans 8:29 that it was a a pre-worked out plan of the three of them when they were discussing this in heaven that and, and therefore god foreknew that it was going to happen that he predestined that we would be transformed into the likeness of christ so all who believe in christ it's the holy spirit's job to transform us into the likeness of christ and how does he do that? He brings us the things of Christ and he speaks them to us and he points us to Christ all the time. So when we, when we, we sense the Holy Spirit, we have to realize he's bringing what Jesus has given him to bring. And, and that's what we're trying to get from this. We're trying to get what Jesus has given him to bring. One of the, I I think, the greatest difficulties that I've had in in my um, Christian work is the lack of a role model who really walks in this. And I've searched the world for role models, and some people get pretty close. But we're not kind of seeing with the level of consistency what people who've gone before have seen. I'm not denying we're seeing things, we're seeing lots of things, but we're not seeing it on a scale that changes a nation. We're not even seeing it on a scale that is changing the church. And so we, we have to learn from people who've gone before. And that, that's our job, because that's what we have. And, and by learning from people who've gone before, God will raise people up in this nation and other nations who start to, to to show this in their lives as well. And so, I remember, years ago, do you remember the, the, the whole Florida thing that started well and ended badly? Well, I went out to Florida, and, and there was kind of an altar call there, and it, it, I don't I don't believe this now, but I just, it is, this is kind of my response. So it was kind of, there was this altar call that, Basically, you you named a great man of the past and you ran forward to the altar and the anointing would come upon you and you would get his mantle. Okay? It's all a bit crazy. But the point that I'm making is I ran forward and I'm going, I want Smith Wigglesworth because he's a Brit. He's a Brit. He's northern. He's a northern Brit. So I want Smith Wigglesworth. So I went to get Smith Wigglesworth, and and lo and behold, I didn't. It, it kind of like touched me and slipped off a bit, you know, because <laughs> that's not how it works. Smith Wigglesworth didn't have something like that. He had a deep relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and. You can't get that by a laying of hands. You get that by having a deep relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I really want now. So anybody offering that, I'll run. You can go for it. You can pray for me, and we'll, we'll go for that. Um, but he he's, I'm, I'm trying to kind of, I think many of you know, I think I drove Roger and Olive Batty with this about two years ago when we were on a retreat, and I was reading all about Smith Wigglesworth at the time. I think we were up in Staffordshire. It was one of those, you know, the one where you, you and Chevel got stuck in the mud. <laughs> we, it was raining and they, 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 they managed to get themselves planted in mud up to like the knees, <laughs> not a pretty sight. Um, but here's one of the, the really powerful insights that is written about Smith Wigglesworth, because he's actually himself not very good at explaining himself. But he had this friend called Arthur Hibbert. who used to just go and sit with him And he wrote a a biography about Smith Wigglesworth and how he related to him and how he related to God. So I'm just going to read you a little bit about that. He, that's Wigglesworth, refused to be content with anything less than all the blessings of salvation to which man was entitled. As a result, so what did he do with that? So we can say, I I refuse to be content without all the blessings. But it's now, what do we do? Some people say, well, you don't need to do anything, you're just blessed. No, no, it doesn't work like that. It's relationship, not religion. There's no formula in this thing. As a result, he had, as a result of wanting to live no less than the blessing, he had an insatiable hunger for God so the question is, if we want the blessings, have we got the precursor, which is the insatiable hunger for relationship with Jesus and the insatiable hunger for relationship with Father? Because that's, that's where he starts. The, the hunger's there first. He was far from being discontented. He wasn't like down that he didn't have everything. The more he had of God, the more he wanted. Sometimes we've had a little bit of God and he's turned up in meetings and he's turned up in conferences and he's turned up at particular periods. And then we we kind of stick there. It's like we, we, you know, like Moses, when Moses and Elijah come and visit Jesus and Peter wants to build a tent for them so they won't go away again. It's like that, we do that with our Christian life. Like nothing can change from this point. Because if we can recreate that every night, this is what we'll get every night. And the Holy Spirit says, yeah, but I'm bored with that. Come with me. We're going to do something but different. Yeah. And we've all sat there, over there, camping around something where the Holy Spirit isn't anymore, but we're doing all the th- same things thinking it's still the Holy Spirit. But we've moved over into flesh because that's all we've got left if he's not there. Hear this. Without the Holy Spirit, all we have left is flesh. So let's... You know, the body of Christ needs to stop the flesh and start moving and being in the spirit. Because without the spirit, all you have is flesh. And we're really good at flesh. We have big, thick books written from flesh. Anyway, this is what Wigglesworth's thoughts were these kind of famous words all of self, none of God, less of self more of God, none of self, all of God. Hungry for all that God had, Wigglesworth waited upon God until he was transformed and cleansed of self. I love the grace message. But I think there are, uh, there's a morphing that has gone on with that message that no longer believes we need to be cleansed of self. And, and it's so important. Because we have the choice of do we walk by the Spirit, do we walk by the flesh? Do we put on the new man and lay off the old man, or do we just keep the old man? And, and that is something that we are given to do. And so we, we, we need this desire to be more, of the, more in the Spirit and less in the flesh. He was conscious of God's plan for his pe- people. He was conscious God's plan for his people involved power. The idea of a weak, insipid Christian did not seem right to him. He could not visualize it. He was aware of spiritual growth and he did not question stages of development, but he set as a standard he wanted to attain, regardless of the cost, the ultimate goal of him being like God. Jesus. That's the great goal. The ultimate goal of less of the flesh is being like Jesus. How cool is that? And and it sounds like, whoa, but that that, that, that was the three of them getting together at the beginning. That was the greatest of all time, all three of them's plan was to make us like Jesus. Joint heirs so that Jesus might be the firstborn and we might be the secondborn thirdborn two billionth born or whatever we're up to now wigglesworth could not accept the idea of engaging in god's work without the spirit's power to do god's work so he would not accept you could do god's work at all without the spirit's power and being a blunt northerner like i am effectively what he said was, if the Spirit's not there, it's not God. And he kind of upset a few people at coming out with things like this. If the Spirit's not there, it's not God. It might be church, it might be good, it might be nice, but it's not God. Okay, that's, I'm glad he said that and I didn't have to. <laughs> anyway, we're up to about 4.25 in the morning at this point. So here we go. So the Holy Spirit is taking more of what is Christ and showing it to us. Let's go to, uh, back to John chapter 14, and I'll go to verse 10 this time. So I'm going back a little bit. So this is Jesus. do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? So Jesus is in the Father and the Father's in Jesus. So there's two bits of that, yeah? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Who did the miracles in Jesus' ministry according to Jesus? The Father did the works. And how did the Father do the works in Jesus' ministry? Because he was in him. You're getting ahead, Rog. But good answer, because that, that's what I thought. I thought like, where's the father now? Well, how's, how's he popped into it? So, it's the father doing the works through Jesus. It's not Jesus doing the miracles. It's the father doing the works. That's not my words. That's not my theology. That's just what Jesus said. How does that happen? Well, what we're going to discover is that the power of the father is contained in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not power, but he does contain the power to get things done. The Father gives the instruction, the Holy Spirit accomplishes it. We've got to understand this. God's not here right now doing it. The Holy Spirit's here right now doing it, accomplishing the things from the Father in us and through us. That's the plan. Here's an interesting thing. Jesus did no mighty works until he received the Holy Spirit. I did this to one thing and I'm not gonna um, go into it any more than I did, well, I'm not gonna go into it in the depth I did that. but here's my question did Jesus not have enough faith to do the works? Because if everything is grace through faith, did Jesus not have enough faith to do the works? Of course he had enough faith, he's God. He knows exactly what he can do. But you need the power to do the works. Grace, through faith, accesses the promises of God, and the Holy Spirit brings about those promises. Is the power? This is getting a bit deep for you? Are you still with me? At least Roger's still awake, so he's, he, I've got what? Oh, Cheryl's, we've got Shavel and Roger, we're all right. So just go with me on this, because I'm nowhere near as far as I wanted to be. The Father who dwells in me does the works. Now that word dwells, this is is what the Holy Spirit was showing me, is a Greek word. So He had me go and look it up. Have you ever tried looking something up at 4.25? (laughs) On your phone. And there's just you and your glowing phone. Because I didn't want to put the light on because I'd wake Shovel up, you see. What a lovely husband I am. (laughs) So this, this word dwells is menno, M-E-N-O. And what it means is to stay in a given place and continue there. So he's saying that the father stayed with me and in me, and he continued in me, and it was him doing it. Okay? Now let's, let's just take it a bit further. That means that when Jesus was on earth, earth, the place that the Father was living and was present is in Jesus. Yeah? That's what he's just said, isn't it? Let's go to verse 16. And I will pray, that the fa- pray to the Father and he... I'll- in other words, Jesus says, I'm going to have a conversation with the Father. And because I know this is what his plan is, I know I'm going to get the answer I want. I'm going to pray to the father and he's going to give you another helper that he may abide with you forever who's the other this other helper because Jesus said I'm going back to heaven so who's the other helper the Holy Spirit now watch this that he might abide with you forever so what's the purpose of this helper? What's he going to come and do? His plan is he's going to abide with you forever. What's that word? Abide. The word is meno. He's going to come and live in you and dwell in you forever. That's the plan. Then we are going to verse 17. The spirit of truth who the world can't receive. So this isn't for unbelievers. This can only ever be for a believer. So if you're not a believer, you can't have this. You can try it. You can go, you know, like they said, don't try it at home. Do try it at home because it won't work. And then you might actually think, well, I need this. But he's saying the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. So it's got no relationship with him. But you know him. Why? Why? for he dwells with you and will be in you. I just get that. Jesus is saying, I'm here right now dwelling with you, but the helper is not only going to dwell with you, he's going to dwell in you. Just like the Father dwelled in me through the Holy Spirit when I walked the earth, now the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in you and with you. Now, understand that. It's both. He's in you and he's with us. Most of us get these in us, but we don't connect to the with us. Really important. It's not well we're dwelling. So he might be dwelling in us, but we're not dwelling in him. We've got half the equation again. I want to say a couple of more things, but I'm just going to skip something because this is kind of really important. So I'll come back to it next week. By the way, that's the, the joy of summer. Whilst not everybody might be here, I always like do most of the summer slots because I never think it's fair to for somebody to come and then find out there's only half the church here, and that's their big big week they get to preach. So I do it. Um, it's not because I'm a megalomaniac, okay? Well, (laughs) make your own mind upon that. Right, John 15, verse 4. Some more of those deep verses. I am the true vine. Oh, sorry, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. so. I abide in you, but you can't bear fruit of the sort that I'm looking for if you don't abide in me. That's the condition. You abiding in me, not me abiding in you. The condition is you abiding in me. They're different. you get that? Do you see that? It's me abiding in him that produces the fruit, not him abiding in me that produces the fruit. Him abiding in me changes me. The fruit that the world sees and the power that comes and the manifest presence is me abiding in him. So if we have a church and full and, and church leaders who are not abiding in him, there will be no fruit and manifest presence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we won't be doing the not by might, not by power, but my spirit will be doing, yes, by my might, by my gift, by my power. Because I'm not abiding in the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit's one with my spirit, but it's not working. It's not working. Because the condition is abiding me. Why? I thought everything was unconditional. No, God loves you unconditionally, but not everything in the kingdom works unconditionally. Most things in the kingdom were never intended to work by following a formula, a set of rules, or six steps to anything. Most things in the kingdom were always meant to work by relationship. So that's all Jesus is saying. This thing works by relationship. You abide in me and we get fruit. You don't abide in me. We get none of the fruit we're looking for. So that raises this question how do you abide in Jesus? Isn't that, that? That's the big question. How do you abide in Jesus? The question is no longer is Jesus like in you and do you know who you are in Christ or anything like that? It's do you abide in Jesus? How do you abide in Jesus? Well, you abide in Jesus the same way as Jesus abided in the Father by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to this very really carefully. We abide in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. He's the conduit that takes us to Jesus. He, his oneness with our spirit allows us to go to Jesus and experience the presence of Jesus. That's why it's the presence that is so precious. The presence is way, way more precious than the gifts. The gifts are the fruit once we've got the presence. Otherwise, the gifts don't work very well because we're not confident enough in them of knowing that it's actually the Father that's told us to do it. So that's why we spent a generation with the gifts still not knowing if it's really Jesus or not. Because... We need to get the presence first. We abide in him. So we walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. How do we walk by the spirit? We have to make an intentional uh, decision to wait on him and connect to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? You wait on him and you ask him to do it. It really is that easy but it does require waiting. And it does require allowing the Holy Spirit to train our heart and sensitize us to recognize the things of the Spirit. If you don't recognize the things of your Spirit, you don't know when he's moving and when he's there. So, but the, again, the training of our hearts is by the Holy Spirit. Um, the writer of Hebrews says, they had their spiritual senses trained by reason of use the more you wait on the Holy Spirit, the more you ask Him to show you, the more He trains your spiritual sentence, senses. That's how we start to connect to Jesus. And and, and there's moments when when I've been I've been praying and and worshiping in my little man cave this year where it's not like me, it's not like the Holy Spirit, it's just like I'm stood in front of Jesus, and it, and it's kind of a very different thing. It's kind of like oh my goodness, something is, someone is in this room. Someone is in this room. And I'm there with my nose pressed to the carpet thinking, man, this carpet itches. (laughs) And I'm I'm not going to look up. I'm not going to look up even if my nose falls off. Because he's in here. Because the Holy Spirit connects us to Jesus. That's what he's doing. Go with me to verse 7. are you still are you still okay can you take a little bit more you're gonna to have to listen to this again i did tell you at the start well i didn't so if you're not here then you haven't heard it and you need to listen to it but if you are here you need to listen to it again verse seven well i'll start sick if anyone does not abide in me he's cast out a branch and withered, and they gather them and throw them in the fire and they burn the the real sign of are you believe or not is do you have a relationship do you know jesus if you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done to you done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples so being a disciple means we're intended to bear fruit to bear much fruit and the purpose of us bearing fruit is to glorify the father That's what Jesus came to do. Now, I want you to just hear that because over and over again, when people aren't seeing answers to prayer, I've seen somebody, and I've probably done it myself as a teenager or whatever, quote those verses. So, you know, just ask anything you ask, anything you want, and it'll be done for you. You can't, you're just not desiring it enough or you haven't got enough faith or anything like that. So all those sort of things. That's not what it says. Come on, guys, we need to stop just quoting stuff. God, yeah, I believe that. That's part of what it says. But it's not what it says. So just thinking, I can ask anything I have because I've got enough faith and the Father will do it, will not do it. We've got to understand that it won't do it. Because that is a conditional promise. Father loves us unconditionally, but not everything in the kingdom works unconditionally. It works by conditions because it's about relationship and not religion. I'll just repeat that, make sure we got that one. So this is a conditional thing. Jesus is describing to us the relationship we need to have if we are to see the power of the kingdom moved through him, us, in the same way as it moved from him, through him, to carry that level of anointing that a Smith Wigglesworth carried or a, a, a Charles Finney so that we walk in the room and people go, oh my goodness, who just walked in the room because I felt it change. You know like you felt that change during worship this morning? I've been in meetings where, where I've, I, I've had my eyes shut, I'm on my knees praying and I've known somebody's walked in the room because they're carrying the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And if you ask Smith Wigglesworth, he, he was asked, is, were you special? And he said, no, I, I'm, I'm terrible. This is for everyone. Everyone who wants it. But you've got to want it. And so he, oh, shit, my Bible. Oh, I didn't bookmark it. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Two, conditions. My words abiding in you, we have actually been really good at in this church. And, and, in, and, and people that we relate to and people that we know. We get the word in us. Yeah? Get the word in you. Condition number one. But that won't do it. So just getting the word in us and repeating the word endlessly and praying the word endlessly is only one of the two parts. What's the other part? We don't just have to have Jesus' words abiding in us. That's not what he said. He said that you do have to do that. But you've got to abide in me so abide in me and my words in you and then you'll ask whatever you desire and it'll be done that's a pretty emphatic statement so where's the, where's the problem well the, prob- the the first problem is a lot of us don't know the word a lot of believers don't know the word a lot of be- believers are really busy on Facebook and in theological colleges and in churches around the land, deconstructing the word so they don't have to believe any of it. Or it was just impressions that man wrote down. No, this is the word of God. Jesus himself said, abide in me and my words will abide in you. Got to have his words in us. Quick quiz. Whose job is it to teach us Jesus' words? Holy Spirit. So Jesus' words is the important thing. Who's the teacher? The Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit's here to do. Let's recognize what the Holy Spirit does and what is Jesus. So the Holy Spirit, again, is pointing us to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is saying, abide in Jesus. Because then you'll have what you desire. What will you desire? Well, as you're now abiding in Jesus, you'll want exactly the same thing as he desires. Well, what if I don't want that? Okay, let me put it this way. You are really much better off wanting the things that the Godhead wants than what your rubbish plans for your own life were. Really, we come up with all these plans for our life and all these goals and all these targets and all these things we want to see before we're dead. And what if it's not the plan? What if we missed it? What if we went 80, 90 years without ever knowing Jesus? What if you go that long without knowing Jesus and then suddenly you're in heaven and stood before him and you don't recognize him? Mark, I thought God's love was unconditional. Is it? Yes it is, well done Esther. Being brave, answering the question. Yes, God's love is unconditional. Jesus paid the price. It's done. Completely unconditional. There are no conditions attaching to God's love. Is my love for him unconditional? There's the problem. It's not, it's not about how much he loves me. This is about do I really love him? It's relationship, not religion. So the manifestation... Don't confuse the manifestation or the manifest presence of God with manifestations. Because you can really get hung up on manifestations. Like, I'm not feeling that. I'm not the one lying on the floor, wiggling around and shouting and doing all that. You can really get hung up on manifestations. And, and it's just typically the church, isn't it? We've now spent like 25 years arguing about manifestations and missing the manifest presence. It's the manifest presence we're after. And, and, and the, the power of God operates through his presence manifesting. And when his presence is manifesting and you speak into that presence the words of Jesus, he does whatever you ask. And why does his presence manifest? Because you're abiding in him. You're hungry for him. You're desiring for him. And so we we see different levels of the effectiveness of the power of spirit that, that is related to the hunger and desire we have to abide with him and to know him and be in his presence. It's got nothing to do with whether we believe the word or not. Well, it does. We have to believe the word anyway because we've got to have the words of Jesus in us. But it's, it, the bit we're missing in our generation is the abiding in him. And, you know, I believe that was the big message of the, the, that came out 20 or 30 years ago that God wanted the church to get. And we turned it into all sorts of other stuff. And, and he, he was there going, no, this really is about me. It's not about the gifts it's not about the manifestations it's not about the conferences it's not about the platforms it's not about the new songs it's not about the worship it's about me i am the message i will manifest where i am loved and people know me you know we even took this thing called intimacy and made it about us was never about us it was always about knowing him see I can take intimacy in my marriage and go and and judge Cheryl on my level of how much intimacy I'm feeling depending on whether she does stuff that I wanted to do or not now if I ask you is that a healthy marriage what would you say no, it's not, is it? But when we take that same approach with God, which is, I want to get close to you, God, because then you'll start doing things in my life and I'll get the answer to my prayer. And, and, and you'll heal all these things that, that have gone wrong in my life and you'll just fix it and you'll turn back time and make it all better. That's crazy stuff. That's not intimacy. That's me saying, God, I'll abide with you and know you if you behave towards me in the way you want me to behave what well, I want you to behave. That's not intimacy. But you would think the way we talk, that is it. Why? Because we are a flesh, selfish generation that take the glory of God and bend it to ourselves. We bend it back and make it about us instead of about Jesus. And, and so these, the father doing, What we desire is dependent and conditional on us abiding in him and him abiding in us. Not one, but both. Can I have the musicians back? I'm going to just read you one more quote from the book from Wigglesworth. And I'm gonna come back next week and talk about the spirit aspect of abiding in him. But I just want to show you how the word aspect works. And it's really important that you hear this. Smith Wigglesworth gave a prophecy not long before he died that there would be a move of God right at the end of time, before Jesus came back, where word and spirit would come together. Not one, not the other, but both. And we've kind of had all sorts of ideas about what that might be. This is how Smith Wigglesworth lived spirit and word. And this is really interesting. Since he had never read any theological theses, He never cluttered his mind with confusing theories. Who's his teacher? The Holy Spirit. It was always open to the Holy Spirit and the revelation he received was tremendous. Before he slept, word and spirit together, I'm thinking of being woken up at four o'clock in the morning, before he slept, the last thing he did was to fill his mind with the pure word of God. During sleep, his subconscious mind connected with his spirit and had the wholesome word of God to work upon. Often he awoke with precious gems of revelation. Upon awakening, he turned again to the word of God because he said it was important to get God's word into his mind before the world could invade it. There is a saying which sums up his attitude to God's God's word. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. This was the standard by which Smith Wigglesworth lived and ministered. He never wavered to the end. He did not die as we understand it. Nothing about him savored the thought of dying. He just went to heaven. Do you know what Smith Wiggles did? He just had a party, sat in his chair, told him what time he'd be gone, and he was gone. That's knowing your Saviour. That's knowing Jesus. We'll leave it there. Come back next week. Really, this so fundamental to us seeing a move of God in this land that there will be sufficient of us who will step into this and understand how it works because it isn't by might it isn't by power it's not by gift it's not by management textbook it's not by money it's not by buildings by his spirit so the fruitfulness is by abiding in him and his words abiding in us two conditions relationship not religion amen Amen. let's stand